Welcome to Seen and Heard in Edmonton, the podcast about bloggers and podcasters in the capital city of Alberta. I'm your host, Karen Unland, and today I'm talking to David Dodge, the man behind Green Energy Futures, a multimedia storytelling project that documents the clean energy revolution. Thanks for coming. I'm really happy to be here. I've been watching your stuff and listening to your stuff and uh, thinking, wow, that's really cool. So I'm, I'm just pleased to be here. Awesome. This episode is brought to you by Andrea Bessa, a writer, filmmaker, editor, and social media strategist who can help you get your message out, and you'll hear more from her later in the show. Okay, Dave, so how do you describe Green Energy Futures? It's its own media. It's a media project. And so, you know, in the old days, I, I, I did a series for CKUA many years ago called The Ecofile, and it was just a radio show. And I thought that was really, really cool, you know. So we went out, we, we came up with a concept of doing a very long series about sustainability, and then we raised the money to put it on the radio. And it was really cool. And, and that was my first experience with radio. Yeah. So Ecofile ran from what year to what year? I, you're stumping me, but uh, <laughs> it ran for about six or seven years, and I think we produced three or 350 episodes. Right. And it was at the time when uh, shortly after the Brundtland Commission came up with our common future and the whole concept of sustainable development in the world. Right. And so I took that, interpreted that as a license to basically call anybody literally in the world. So I had the guy who wrote the Brundtland Report on my first episode. Wow. His name is Jim McNeil, and he was the Secretary General of the Environment Commission of the UN, and he was working for Gro Harlem Brundtland, who was the Prime Minister of Nor- Norway? Mm-hmm. Yeah. was. Yep. <laughs> At the time, and uh, he actually was the guy who wrote... Prime Ministers don't sit around and write books. No. Shocking, I yeah. know. <laughs> uh, but uh, the guy that actually wrote it was, was this Canadian, uh, which is really interesting. So the whole sustainability thing, the sustainable development thing, has its origins, I think, in our common future. So we started it by talking to him about the enormity of the challenge. And uh, I discovered right away it was pretty enormous. Yeah, yeah. Now, Green Energy Futures grew out of that, and it is it, it is like a media entity. It's a website, it's a YouTube channel, it's everything. Yeah, so we kind of figured if you're going to make this work, you had to exploit every opportunity you possibly could. So in the old days, I, I go back, I was a writer for a newspaper uh, while I was still in university, so I've been around media circles for a long time. And, you know, as a writer, it's pretty hard to support writing, especially journalism and quality writing outside of the system. And now the system's kind of broken, so this is, it's more important than it used to be. And so what I, my model for this, and this is not the only model, was I thought I would raise a concept. I I would create a concept for something new and innovative and then try to attract funding for the long term so I could forget about that for periods of time and just produce the best possible content I could find. And so that's what I did with uh, with Green Energy Futures. I made it a totally multimedia series. So we started, we produced videos. In the beginning, we produced one every week. We produced a radio show that we uh, post as a podcast. Uh, and we produce a blog that runs in newspapers, uh, online media, wherever we can place it. And so over time, it changes. Like, where we're featured. Right. So um, that idea of getting sustained funding instead of hustling every episode for a new sponsor, that's interesting. So tell me a little bit about the funding structure for Green Energy Futures. Very hard to replicate. Is it? (laughs) Yes. Uh, It it is great, but it's also time limited. So, you know, my project, I knew this from the beginning that this project would have a shelf life. You know, people would think it's really cool for a certain amount of time and, and then they won't think it's so cool anymore. And I will need to either reinvent it or, uh, you know, come up with something new at, at some point. But I knew that, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, I have a short attention span, so that's okay. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and so th that's what I did was I created this vision. And in the beginning, I, uh, it was just one of those things you get to do once in your life, Karen. So I sat down at this stage of my life and I said, if I could do anything right now, what would it be? You know, all journalists sit around and, and they say, well, if I could start a magazine or if I could do this or if yeah. I could do that, that was the old days, right? Magazines. Yeah. And it's very difficult. It's always been very difficult. So in this case, I said I wanted to start a multimedia channel inspired by the Ecofile series. So instead of just doing the radio, to do video and to do blogs that could be published in conventional media. And I took that vision about green energy. So I thought green energy is this emerging thing. I thought the coverage I saw in the media at the time was really, really immature and sloppy and not very knowledgeable and kind of new. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I, I want to zoom in on solutions because what I was reading at that time was a whole lot of stuff about climate change and pipelines and oil sands and, you know, really heavy negative stuff. And so I thought, who's talking about solutions to all this stuff? Who's talking about new economic opportunities and green energy and clean energy? So I, I wrote up a six-page thing, you know, this little dream document yeah. about uh, if I could do anything, what would it be? And lo and behold, uh, a couple of rich guys thought it was a fantastic idea and they chipped in a little bit of money uh, and we produced a pilot. And then I uh, produced the pilot and lo and behold, some even richer folks, <laughs> companies, <laughs> uh, thought it was a good idea still, and they funded me for two years. And right. So here I am today, almost four years later. So you've got funding from the Pemberton Institute? No, no, no funding from the Pemberton Institute. Just, just other kinds of support. Yeah, from so right now it's corporate funding. So it's actually uh, oil sands companies. Right, yeah, so Suncor. So and, Suncor and uh, Shell, and I have had TD Bank yeah, at yeah. times. And some other, I did a Canada Council project. Uh, I've done a few little offshoots in the process. But that, I think it's an important way for people to think about if they're thinking of getting long-term sustainable funding for a, a, some kind of communication-related business or media business is it's part of the goodwill part of the budget of some big companies that have deep pockets. Which is really vulnerable right now. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> You hope that these, these downfalls come in the middle of a funding period. Right. <laughs> Are you in the middle or at the end right now? Uh, kind of in the latter part of a, of a yeah. So there'll be some reinvention so later happening this year I'll maybe. Be, I'll be in the crunch. Yeah. Just back to the content. Yes. So it's hopeful and forward-thinking and solutions-oriented and, and important. I think on your website, you, even you say it's not sexy or somewhere you said not sexy, maybe the, uh, the email to me. So how do you get an audience for something that is not, you know, celebrity news or whatever? Yeah, it's not the latest Taylor Swift meandrings yeah. or Miles yeah. Cyrus or anything like that, which naturally gets lots of clicks and that sort of thing. When I say it's not sexy, it's not that I don't think it's sexy. I think it's really sexy. I'm yeah. totally into this stuff. And frankly, I think that's one of the secrets. You better care a lot about what you're doing because you will not be able to convey that to your audience unless you do care and you're really into it and you're finding the best possible stories you can. And so I'm really into it. But let's face it, stories about solar energy or worse yet, energy efficiency <laughs> or something like biochar, <laughs> uh, you know, not exactly the story for everyone. So you know you're in a niche and you need to really own that niche. And so in the beginning, I, I would do searches on the internet and I'd go, I'd search for green energy futures and never find myself or my right. project. 
uh, I'd search for solar and I'd never find my project. And so we knew the challenge right away was to own that space. And by being multimedia, that really helped us. So if you look at our individual numbers across the different media outlets we have, we, we have 10,000 subscribers on YouTube, Yeah. which, you know, okay, that's okay. It's really good, but Is yes. It? Okay. <laughs> well, still, I think of it as quite small, yeah. but when you take the aggregate, you have an audience. So I have an audience of millions now. I can say that really safely. My videos, I almost quit doing videos. Really? first year because you would invest all this time and money and effort and travel budget and you'd produce a video and then 500 people would watch it and you'd go, okay, do I report that to the funder? Right, right. <laughs> it was hard. It was very hard. So we knew in the beginning that you couldn't just build your own media and people would come. We knew that. We weren't diluted in that yeah. sense at all. And so our primary targets were in the beginning were conventional media and some conventional online and some conventional offline. So we actually ran a, a series uh, front page of the business section in the journal. We mm -hmm. ran a series of six stories in the beginning because it was new and novel content and that sort of thing. We went to the Huffington Post. Uh, journal people didn't appreciate that. But, <laughs> but uh, honestly, in that first year, our best response by far was the Huffington Post. Uh, you know, you, you get in conventional newspapers and, and if you look online, yes, you get the conventional newspaper audience, which is considerable. Yeah. But online, they... They've only started to learn how to find audiences online. So you get five or six shares. Yeah. On Huffington Post, we could, on a great story, we could land 2,000 likes and shares. Wow. And you know you're tapping into something. Yeah. And uh, so we, I even went with Troy Media, which distributes to the media. Yeah. I went with... Um, even LinkedIn, yeah, uh, every place you could think of. So Calgary is Green is another website that was mm -hmm. started by a guy in Calgary. And he's just trying to build an audience around green stuff in Calgary. So we made a deal to provide our content to him. So we kind of own his energy section yeah. of his thing. And it's great for us, great for him, costs us nothing. And he gets an association with some decent content. So that's how we did it. It was so it's really like by building, gosh and by golly. Yeah, but relationships and yeah. smart partnerships yeah. and quid pro quos. Um, so you, you kind of said you actually have 11,000 subscribers on YouTube. Oh, do we? Yeah. <laughs> and I know a lot of people who are trying to make a go on YouTube and, and they're, they have less than that. So was it Huffington Post that turned the corner there or what made, what got you over that hump of what are we even doing this for? Well, there's certainly a, cri a critical mass factor. What got me over the hump? I, I, hump, I cannot attribute that to a single source. Huffington Post certainly helped. Being in the journal helped. Being in other uh, newspapers across the country helped. Being in on websites helped. Uh, being on our own site helped. So uh, this year, I'll just tell you, like, fast forward three and a half years, it took us three and a half years to get a million views on YouTube, and we got 225,000 in the last 90 days. Wow. So... I have a great example on my desktop. So there's a story we did about a year and a half ago about this thing I never would have predicted would become really popular, and that's the idea of a net zero home. Right. So a home that runs on solar power and produces as much energy as it consumes, so essentially you're self-sustaining as a home. And this has become a very popular concept, as it tur turns out. So we did a whole series. This was the Canada Council project, actually, called Chasing Net Zero about a year and a half ago. And the first one we called Net Zero 101, and it was a great story because we had some good partners. We uh, met up with some architects and really did a, a deeper dive on it than we usually do. And uh, that story did well right from the beginning, even as a video. But today, that story gets more new views every day than it did then. Wow. With, you know, yes, we cross-promote it. We are very aggressive about cross-promoting. So yeah. if I do a story about Net Zero now, I'll link to my Net Zero stories all the time. 
but uh, that's just eye-popping when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you harness something. You don't know what it is, though. No, no, it's <laughs> it's a little bit of everything. So yeah. it was very hard to explain in the beginning. So you go to your funders and you say, well, we think we're successful, but you know they want to know tangibles. Okay, who have you reached? Who have you influenced? Have people responded to your stories? Show me evidence. And I'd go, I'd go. Well, I'm gonna have to make it up. Yeah. <laughs> So I did. And I told him I was making yeah. it up, but I said, yeah. you know, these are anecdotes. But now today, when I look back, I have so many great stories yeah. about uh, about how the series has affected and touched people. Uh, there was a guy, a CKUA listener here in Edmonton, uh, Alan Howitt is his name, and he was just a fan on CKUA. And he called me up and he took me to lunch and he said, uh, I, I really like what you're doing. I'm kind of semi-retired and I really want to try something different. Uh, I want to host mixers. So just getting people together who architects, green architects, green builders, solar guys, all these guys in this space, this clean energy space, uh, window people, whatever, politicians. Uh, yeah. he, he had an audience in mind. And I didn't know why I would do mixers, right. frankly. Uh, before that lunch was over, he had booked the first mixer. Wow. <laughs> at Yellowhead Brewery. And yeah. I thought, and he was going to pay for the uh, food and line up the sponsors. And all I had to do was advertise it and, and see if it worked. And it worked terrifically. So uh, it's a great story because that worked and I was surprised how well it did work. And people were thanking us. Yeah. Like they were saying, well, we got together people I had always wanted to meet and I didn't know how to do that before. And, you know, you have to do it one at a time and mm-hmm. phone them and cold mm-hmm. call them, blah, blah, blah. So between that and the second one, this is just one guy reacting yeah. to our series. He said, can I use your content? I'd like to start a magazine. And so he took our content and he built something called uh, Green Business Canada magazine, just invented it. Yeah. Uh, and it was full of our stories. And then he held a second uh, mixer about four or five months later in the Empress Room at the hotel, McDonald. And I thought as soon as he said that, I thought, oh, my God, what if we don't <laughs> fill it? Like, what if five people show up? <laughs> That's going to be so embarrassing. Yeah. But we had 300 people show wow. up and, you know, city councillors and provincial officials and, and a CEO of a home building company was jamming on the guitar as we had really informal entertainment. Yeah. And again, the same thing happened. It was very uh, it was very organic and it was very interesting. And we didn't do any hard pitches there. I talked for two minutes. I just said, hi, I'm from Green Energy Futures. Uh, please watch our stuff. Is there a line you have to tread to make sure your sponsors are happy but make sure your audience is engaged and interested. Is that ever a challenge for you? We are 100% audience focused. So uh, I'm an old media guy. I've done this for a long time. I published a couple of magazines uh, and, you know, I did it the hard way because I didn't go to the sponsors and say, hi, give me some money and I'll do some stories about all your wonderful achievements. In fact, I did the opposite. I went to my funders and I said, here, I won't do stories about you. Yeah. <laughs> or traditional conventional fossil fuels. Right. I, I, I said that as well. I said, look, that stuff's getting all kinds of, what am I going to bring to that? Yeah. You know, it's so big. It, it's not new at all. And uh, I would be like a voice in the wilderness anyways. And if I'm doing stories about you, nobody's going to listen to me. <laughs> so they got it. They yeah. did get it to their yeah. credit. And and uh, and they stand by that. Yes, they give me ideas once in a while, but uh, we're totally audience focused. So when we sit down to try to figure out what the next story we're going to do. We think about the stories that have worked in the past. We think about the stories we haven't covered yet. We think about what the most iconic story in this space is. So we feel an obligation to not just do stories about little things, but 
we, in the beginning, we took Canada as our canvas. So we thought if we're going to do uh, really own this space, we need to find the most iconic entrepreneurs, projects, leaders in Canada. And so we set out to find those people. So we've done stories on tidal energy in Nova Scotia. We went to the end of the road in Nova Scotia to University St. Anne. They did an amazing retrofit of their college to heat it using biomass instead of fuel oil, yeah. which they were buying from somewhere in South America, which is horrible. Yeah. Like expen not only horrible environmentally, it was horrible, uh, horribly expensive. Wow. And so they replaced that with wind and solar thermal. And we did the story because, yes, it was a little college, but it was a big story. You know, it's, it's transformational. That's what we look for. So we did a story on a guy called Kent Rathwell from uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, who started Sun Country Highway, which is a company that builds electric vehicle charging stations. Crazy business. Nobody owns electric cars yet. Yeah. Like, why would you go into the business of producing? It's what you don't do. Right. In, in business school, they tell you, don't do that. Don't try to lead the market. You know, Terry O'Reilly would be freaking out. That's right. Say, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and this guy's totally mission-driven, but he's also an awesome entrepreneur. And so right. he has built the longest connected chain of electric vehicle charging stations in the world in Canada. And so we look for those stories. Yeah. I find them inspiring. Other people find them inspiring. And so there's a lot of them. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Another thing that there's a lot of is people with a lot of mainstream media experience who are out of a job now because they got let go or because they quit in disgust. Do you think other people could follow your path? Could somebody find a, a niche that they are super passionate about that they want to go deep, 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 deep into and make a go of it? Absolutely. But is it easy? No, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's easy. Like you have to be all in and you have to not have the wool pulled over your eyes. It's mostly self-delusion, right? That I can start this magazine and everything will be peachy keen. Yeah. The guy that started this magazine, Green Business Magazine, Alan Howe came to me and he said, I want to talk to you about this. I want to start a magazine. And I told him, don't do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he did it anyway. So that showed me he had the gumption. <laughs> he had the right stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's it's not easy, but yes, really find your niche. Really be good in that niche. Don't dabble in the niche. Yeah. Uh, own the niche, and you know you do have to think about whether uh, there is some revenue source somewhere that appreciates that niche and yeah. what your relationship with those funders is. There's different relationships. I'm not saying the way I did it is is the only way. There's many different ways. But you can't um, discount the business side of the business. No. You've got to find a way to pay no. the bills. Yeah. No. Because there's a sort of people in mainstream journalism sometimes are somewhat uh, sheltered from the business side of the business and on purpose in yeah. some cases, right? How did you even get over that uh, filthy lucre reaction? Oh, uh, by, by purging th that attitude, you know, that, that the ad sales guys are bad and I'm good. Right. <laughs> and, you know, that doesn't mean I don't understand where the lines are. Right. Like you can still maintain a really clear understanding of what bias is and where that line is and understand your own biases. We all have bias. Yeah. Show me an unbiased reporter and I'll show you a miracle yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Like, there are none. Yeah. Uh, but you'd have to clearly understand that and own it. And so I think that's the key right there is um, you have to care about it. Yeah. You have to do it well. My relationships with a lot of those entrepreneurs are awesome. They don't give me any money, though. No. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're too small. Like yeah. most of the guys in the clean energy sector would love to support my series. Yeah. But they're too small. Yeah, they're still getting started themselves. Yeah. Okay, so what's next for you? 
Great question. Uh, I'm not sure, and I'm actually thinking, going through a thought process right now whether I reinvent this year or uh, I pursue other opportunities. Um, I've done a lot of neat things, and I care about a lot of stuff, and that's just the way I am. So I, I don't know. It, you know, I love this project. Green Energy Futures is my favorite project of my entire career because I really got to go out. I really got to tackle something new and bring something to it, and I love it to pieces. So right. uh, it won't go forever, though. So I'm I'm in that thought process right now, and I, I just can't tell you because I don't know yeah. uh, where that's going to go. I'm open to ideas, always open to ideas. So that would be my piece of advice for podcasters and people trying to do this sort of thing is be open to ideas. Listen, hear right. other people, because sometimes there's little gems in there. Yeah, for sure. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll hear about the local blogs or podcasts that Dave recommends. This episode of Seen and Heard in Edmonton is brought to you by Andrea Bessa, a writer, filmmaker, editor, and social media strategist who can help you get your story out. So you did some great work for me in getting Seen and Heard in Edmonton set up on Facebook. How did you approach my cry for help? I don't know if I'd call it a cry for help. Typically, when when a business already has something set up, I do what I call an audit, and I sort of go through, analyze what's going on, um, how social media is being used or not used, and then, of course, sit down with my client, talk about what they're looking for, because everyone's kind of looking for something different, whether they're looking for training, somebody to really help them form a voice or a tone for their business, uh, and then I, I will go from there and I usually create what I call a, a social media strategy document that really sort of becomes a guidebook for a business to take and run and consult when they need guidelines, tips, advice, ideas for content, that sort of thing. Because you've been able to build up this store of best practices and unknown tricks and tips, not tricks, but just like, did you know if you did it like this, it would be better? Yeah, I've had many years of experience and have sort of gotten to know the ins and outs of the algorithms and uh, and how they can work for and against um, businesses on, on social media. So yeah. Thank you for chatting with me today. Well, thank you for having me. Be sure to visit andreabessa.work to see what Andrea can do for you. That's A-N-D-R-E-A-B-E-C-A dot work. Okay, we're back. So Dave, what do you read online in the local independent media space? Well, you know, Karen, I, I am a little myopic. I'll admit <laughs> I really focus on my space from the seven o'clock in the morning when I check my Twitter feeds yeah. and my Facebook page, uh, and I follow stuff that is in my niche yeah. pretty seriously. Like yeah. We live it, we breathe it all day. But who do I admire like uh, outside of that? I mean, there's a lot of neat projects that have started sort of related to my space. So I mentioned Calgary is Green, or David Still runs that. He's a really amazing guy, and he, he blows me away with his ambition. Yeah. Uh, so there's a guy you should watch, actually, really interesting guy. Uh, but locally, there's guys like Dave Cornway who do uh, his news. Dave Berta, yeah. Uh, Dave Berta and Mac Mail. And I encounter these guys all the time. So Mac Mail, I see him on, on committees and stuff. So him and I are on the Edmonton Journal Advisory Committee together. Right. And I think we're on another committee, uh, Civic Engagement or yeah. something. So I would say there is something right there. There's a secret right there is that people involved in this sort of thing need to live it and breathe it and, and be in the community. And so... Uh, 
the guys that are successful, I see them yes. again and again yeah. all over the place. And uh, I think that's definitely a, a key right there. You can't just go back and hide in your spare room and produce your podcast. Maybe you can, but I don't know how to do that. Yeah, it helps. Every connection helps. I also think that we can watch the development of a new class of influencers in the city, right? That the people are that are connected by different things than, you know, the people of the 60s and the 70s in Edmonton or the 80s and the 90s. Yeah, and there are many people, as you know, on, on social media who've made, turned themselves into critics or yeah. into a columnist, column, a column like a Twitter columnist yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And it, has it worked? Absolutely. There's a whole bunch of them. And, and anybody who's alive on Twitter in Edmonton knows that, uh, or, or even Facebook, yeah. because you'll see them again and again. And they have carved this space out, and then people start calling them. And so own the space, you know, yes. and some of the spaces are harder to own, and there's a lot more competition. So. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like there's a lot of competition in your space? No. Or you're the winner in that space because no. you got out there early. In fact, ask me who it is. I don't know who it is, yeah. if there is somebody. Yeah. I mean, there's an organization called Clean Energy Canada that has a newsletter, but they're more of an advocacy organization. Yeah. And so I don't know who it would be if there is comp- real competition. Yeah. You're a storytelling organization. Yeah. 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 And we do focus on that too. So yes, we have a lot of meat and potatoes mm-hmm. in our stuff, uh, but we try to be a storyteller. So we try to inspire people with the work of other people. Our right. storyline is always about rocking uh, a clean energy source or a project or being imaginative, that sort of thing. The pace of change right now in this space, uh, and energy is a big space in the world, is unlike anything ever in history. And you're on the front lines reporting on it. The last bit of advice that I want to extract from you. So you said when you went to your funders, you said, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. But you must have said something that says, I am going to do this and I am going to do this. So what is your advice for someone who's going to kind of somebody that they're looking to for an underwriting type of relationship with you? What gets them to say yes? Well, have a vision that's inspiring. We have a really clear mission and we try to be quite inspiring about it. We try to get ourselves inspired about it and that tends to inspire others about it and be clear about it so they know and they're not surprised by it and they know what they're buying into. Uh, but you also have to have a certain amount of empathy. So this goes back to the ad guys are the bad guys and you're the good guy. Yeah. You know, this is the old rule in, in, uh, in, in radio, in newspapers. I've seen it in all the businesses I've been in. You have to sort of deal with that. You yeah. know, like they're not the bad guys. No. You just have to understand how it works and where the lines are. And I think that, that is the secret right there is you have to have a little empathy for those folks. So when I go to Suncor, I have to understand their space. And I don't go there and totally tell them I'm going to do whatever they want. I go there and I tell them that I'm going to do stuff that they care about. Yeah. That is so smart. And I'm glad you said it out loud and people need to hear it. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me today. Such a pleasure, Karen. Excellent. So you can learn more about green energy pioneers at greenenergyfutures.ca and you'll find amazing stories on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Green Energy Futures and it's on Twitter at GEF140, right? Right. Uh, all those links and Dave's recommendations and some other of the other properties that he mentioned will be in the show notes at seenandheardyeg.com. Subscribe to my newsletter at seenandheardyeg.com for complete coverage of Edmonton's blogs and podcasts. I'll be back in a week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.